pilgrimage and planetary healing. So I'll try and weave those two themes into my talk this evening. I thought I'd begin by reading a little hymn which was written uh, 350 years ago about being a pilgrim. And uh, it seems to me very true of us today as it was of this gentleman 350 years ago. And many of you probably heard this very famous hymn. Written in about 1650 or something around there, 1650. Who would true valour see, let him come hither. One here will constant be, come wind, come weather. There's no discouragement, shall make him once relent his first avowed intent to be a pilgrim. Whoso beset him round with dismal stories, do but themselves confound, his strength the more is. No lion can him fright, he'll with a giant fight, but he will have a right to be a pilgrim. Hobgoblin nor foul fiend can daunt his spirit, for he knows he at the end shall life inherit. Then fancies fly away, he'll fear not what men say, he'll labour night and day to be a pilgrim. And I think those are wonderful words and in a sense epitomise the task and the purpose of a pilgrim both then and now. I think we have to understand that people who've been going on pilgrimages for thousands and thousands of years to different sites, to different places, in different religions, in different creeds, uh, by coming here to Glastonbury, you are literally following the footsteps of millions of people who've come to this sacred site for thousands of years. People have been going on pilgrimages. We are aware of the Muslims that go to Mecca, of the Indians with their various pilgrimages to their holy sites. We can see why people went on pilgrimages. Ostensibly, it was to visit a sacred site, to kiss a sacred stone, to see the sacred bones, to see where a saint was buried, and things like that. They were the physical outward manifestation of why people go on pilgrimages. But there is always a hidden, deeper meaning than just the physical outward manifestation of someone travelling from A to B to go on a pilgrimage. I think if we look at the source of pilgrimage, we can see it almost as a legend. And we can say that the pilgrimage which we accomplish in our lifetimes is but the reflection of our life. Our whole life really is a pilgrimage. And what we are seeing in an individual pilgrimage, rather like you are now, is just a focus of interest and energy. And so for the pilgrim of old, his pilgrimage to Canterbury or to Mecca, whatever it was, was a focus of spiritual interest for his life. It gave him a time to sit back, relax, concentrate on his spiritual purpose in life, and go forth to this place, the holiest of holies, to give of his energies and to receive whatever he was to receive at that centre of power. And so we look at the pilgrimage there as the emblem of our life, the symbol of our being. And you here, in coming to Glastonbury of all places, this holiest place, are focusing your energy in this trip to go deeply within yourselves, to contact the source of energy and to perhaps reveal a deeper purpose in your life a deeper understanding in your life. So pilgrims have been going on pilgrimages for literally thousands and thousands of years. And what was the outward purpose? To worship. 
And so we associate perhaps three qualities with the pilgrimage. One is commitment, which is the commitment of the pilgrim to make the pilgrimage. Perhaps that involved great sacrifice. In days of old, certainly it involved danger and travel in perhaps hostile countries. Then there was humility, which was the ability to travel very light, perhaps begging for most of the journey, and to humble oneself in the presence of what one regarded holiest in one's life and perhaps in the world. And finally there was worship or acknowledgement of the divinity, the divinity which one came to worship, the divinity which one came to honour, no matter what one's religion, no matter what one's creed. So we have the trinity of the pilgrim as he went on his way. We have a lovely analogy of the higher purpose of pilgrimage, which has been uh, likened to a bee. Now a bee goes from flower to flower, and its purpose is to collect pollen. And as you today come to the flower that is Glastonbury, you are bees. And yet, behind that purpose of collecting your own pollen, you are, of course, doing what the bee does, which is to pollinate the flower. So you are going to the flower to give of your energy and take from the flower. And so the cycle of life is complete, the giving and the taking, the giving and the receiving. So the pilgrim went to take, yes, but he also went to give. And by the purpose of travelling, he gave his energy to the planet. If we realise that when we go on these pilgrimages, we are in effect creating etheric lines of force, as we go from, say, New York or whatever, no matter where you travel on planes, you are taking a silver thread of energy from that place to the place of your pilgrimage. And when you get there and you worship and you attune to that center, you are plugging in your etheric line so that when you go from that place, no matter where you go in the world, you are forever tuned in to that source of energy, that source of power, that source of commitment. And so just by closing your eyes, you are at one with that power once more. You are, in fact, establishing a grid, a grid of what I will call spiritual power all over the globe. And when you think of the millions of pilgrims going all over the globe now, for whatever reason, you can see a vast lattice of etheric lines going forth all over the planet as we act as holy bees going everywhere to perform our task. Now, for many of us, it's on a very unconscious level. We go to pilgrimage, we're moved to go to a certain place, we feel the calling. Perhaps we haven't even thought about a place like Iona, shall we say. I am still waiting to go on pilgrimage to Iona. I have never been there. I've been told that when I do go there, it will be very significant for me. But the timing is not yet right. I haven't felt the need or the desire to go there. But I know that when I do get that call, when a force deep inside me stirs, I will respond and I will go there. That would be the right time for pilgrimage. So we have the timing of the pilgrimage, which is very important, the timing in ourselves and perhaps the timing in the world. And as we look at the crisis in the world today and we see more and more people going on pilgrimage, we can perhaps begin to understand the significance of the work that we're all doing on a, on a conscious and unconscious level. For what this planet needs at this time is healing before all else. Because this planet on which we live is threatened and it's never been threatened before. If we look at the situation which we're faced right now, we have what my teachers call a narrow window. 
of about 20 years. Now if I can call that window, it's rather like the window of the space shuttle coming back into Earth's atmosphere after it's been up in space. It has to enter at a certain angle, at a certain velocity, to what they call the window. And when it's in that window, then everything's all right, and no disaster happens, and the trip is a success. What we are facing now on this Earth is a critical period of 20 years when our technology, which at this moment can destroy the world 10 times over, when our technology in terms of the freedom we have to live, the computers that can do so much of our work, the spare time that we have, and the old adage that uh, idle hand leads to trouble, and believe me, in the world, some people are idle, which creates so much trouble, not a physical, but a thought as well, and the desire to, to satisfy the spare time they have. But with all those energies uh, going about, this earth is threatened as it's never been threatened before. So we have to consider the window, getting in through that window before our intellect destroys us as individuals or the world as a whole. The only thing that can balance that into it is our intuition, which is the God-given, the God-centered force within us. We have not yet got the wisdom to balance our intellect. We have created beyond the capacity of our wisdom. And this has been the challenge we are told of many civilizations. We are told that Atlantis faced just the challenge that we are facing right now, and their intellect destroyed them. They had not got the wisdom to control the forces which they then had. And we are faced with a similar challenge. And our teachers say that in many evolving races of this sort, this is the critical moment of evolution. When the race has evolved in gigantic strides as ours have, just consider our progress in the last hundred years. The technology has got there, but where is the wisdom, the other side, to balance it, to use that technology to return to the source, as opposed to return to ourselves, to create in God's image, as opposed to creating in our image. So this next 20 years for the Earth is critical. And the choice remains with us, as it has been in many lives, in many civilizations, in many opportunities we've had at this time. And that's why all of us are very privileged to be here, because we are here at this critical time. We have chosen to be here. It is a lesson for all of us. It is a test for all of us, which we have to pass. So the role of pilgrimage can be seen as awakening that consciousness within us, that understanding of the God center within us, and of the power which exists around us, which we so readily ignore and perhaps never even bother to tune into. Now when you come to a place like Glastonbury, you are coming to a center of immeasurable power. To go through all the experiences that have happened here, of the visions and the dreams, of the institutions that have been commenced here by the inspiration, I don't know if they told you before, but Eileen Caddy, got her inspiration here in Glastonbury. The seed for Findhorn came from here. She received her first message here. People receive here from the other side. It is a place of great power, of great beginnings, of great initiations. One of the interesting facts is that this center has always been associated with what we call the Western tradition, which is that which balances the Eastern tradition. Now the Eastern tradition, if you look at it in terms of Christianity, the religion which most of us are familiar. The Eastern tradition is the Orthodox Church, which is basically the Church of Rome, for most of our origins originated in Rome. 
and the Church of Rome came to England and centred itself on Canterbury and that was the patriarchal form of government the need for the intercessor between God and the individual the need for the priests and of course priests are essentially male on the other end of that line between Canterbury, Stonehenge and Glastonbury you have Glastonbury which is essentially the uh, western tradition which is the hidden tradition which is the esoteric tradition which is in actual fact the tradition which linked with what we call apostolic Christianity you probably saw on the slides yesterday that there is the legend of Joseph Arimathea who came from the Holy Land and came directly to Glastonbury and we believe that he left the Holy Land soon after the crucifixion and who came with him we don't know but what is certain he would have bought the teachings that Jesus had given straight to Glastonbury now the Druids who lived here had seen in their visions the death of Jesus in fact they knew of Jesus' death before it even happened they also had a god in their culture called Jesus who was supposed to be the chosen one who was to come and unite them in the one faith and so when Joseph came talking of Jesus or Jesus they accepted his vision of the living Christ and embodied into their religion and you have here in Glastonbury this amazing merger of Druidism and Apostolic Christianity which formed itself into the Chaldee religion and the Chaldee religion existed here for about 600 years before it was eventually suppressed by Rome now the Chaldee religion is the essence of the Western which is feminine they had feminine priests they worshipped the goddess in essence and when you go down to the church in the Abbey today you will see that it's dedicated to the Virgin Mary now the cult of the Virgin Mary didn't exist in England until the 12th century but that particular church was dedicated to the Virgin Mary in the first century AD so here was the first church ever dedicated to a woman uh, in the Christian religion so this I think emphasizes the essence of the energy here which is feminine the, the goddess shall we say grounds her energy here in Glastonbury and that is why Glastonbury is always considered to be a feminine center now the goddess is important because in the patriarchal society in which we live we tend to think of God as male because Christianity in particular Mohammedism has told us as such but in actual fact God is not male it is neither female it is above male and female it is the oneness of all life but we tend to forget in our concentration on the male that there is a goddess and indeed that the being of this planet is feminine in energy and that the being who has given us this planet on which to evolve is feminine and that is why the Druids and the ancient religions worshipped the goddess they were aware of the god but they also worshipped the goddess because they recognized that through her came all life our bodies are from the goddess everything which we come in contact the three kingdoms of matter are from the goddess our existence therefore depends upon the goddess it depends upon the planet we had uh, a friend of ours here about a month ago who is also a channel and he channeled uh, an energy of a devic being a very ancient devic being who actually lived below the island of Iona and this devic being was expressing his disgust is perhaps too strong a word but his disapproval of the way that humanity had treated the three kingdoms of matter and in particular the animal kingdom and the abuse which we have heaped upon that kingdom 
for the last two or three hundred years. And being devic and therefore unemotional, he could not understand the way in which the goddess allowed us to abuse her kingdoms. He was, was it, I call it, it, baffled at the freedom which we were given to experiment with the kings of the goddess. And he felt that perhaps that uh, approval would soon be withdrawn because surely we have reached the limit to which we can abuse this planet anymore. Whether you look at it on a spiritual level or on an ecological level, we are approaching a time of crisis. There are many interested scientists and ecologists in the world today who have pointed the finger at the where we are destroying our planet. The rate at which we're deforesting our planet, which is the hair of our planet, which produces the atmosphere in which we live, uh, has now almost reached the proportion of being beyond recall. So we have this freedom, but we are abusing it. And we are destroying our very planet on which we live. So what we need at this time, above all, is planetary healing. Now how are we going to heal this planet, especially for the use of pilgrimage? Well, we come to a place like this for invocation. The power is here, the energy is here. And if you are open to it, it's a very primeval energy. It's a very strong energy. It's a very powerful energy. It can, at times, frighten people because they haven't experienced this energy before. It is like a raw energy, but it's there, it's power, and it can be used. And remember, like the true magician, we don't use that power for either good or evil. We're neither black or white magicians. We are clear magicians. We are true magicians. That is, we use the magic for the invocation of the power involved, neither for good nor for evil. We just invoke it and call it, and allow that power to be used according to the divine will. So we can come and invoke these powers and use them. We can direct them, and we can send our love and our healing to this planet. And what we create on this higher level, in thought and in our mental energies, does touch people and can transform many people in positions of importance all over the world. We sometimes forget the power of prayer, the power of positive thought, the power of us as gods in the making to truly transform society. There are many evolved souls on the planet at this time. There are many, many evolved masters, perhaps even as great as Jesus now, sitting on this planet. Every year we meet people who have come in contact with these beings, who tell us of some of the amazing things they've done, of what we would call miracles. But are these great beings who stay undercover, hidden, but there, giving their power and energy, arising at the appointed time, giving the appointed talk, releasing the appointed information? But there is a plan. They are part of it. We are guided. All it requires is our support, our intelligence support, and our mental image of what we want for this planet. There is, I think, in the world today, the great cause of peace. We are threatened with nuclear devastation. So we ourselves have to be very clear, I think, that when we project our thoughts, that when we do our planetary healing, that we are not being divisive too, and that we are going for the wholeness of our healing. We don't want to achieve it by shouting someone down. We don't want to achieve it by proving someone to be ignorant, by proving someone to be unintelligent. We want to do it on the higher levels. We've always been told, or my teachers always tell us, that when you're in an argument and you get into that 
predictable yes-no slanging match that you just sit back, close your eyes and go at it from another level which is simply to go upwards and then come downwards and it is on this work that I think we as planetary healers have to concentrate yes we can go out and try and dig fields and plant trees but ultimately that is not in itself going to save this planet what we have to do is give of our divine energy and when that links with all the other energies then we can become an amazing force for good our teachers tell us that when we meditate perhaps even six or seven of us that the power which we generate goes up over 150 miles into the atmosphere as high as that as a beacon of light even just seven of us so if you multiply that by people in the room tonight and the thought that can go with it and the power that goes up you can see the energy which we are preparing now finally and perhaps most controversially of all one comes to the purpose of all this that we face because everything in life has a purpose the suffering, the pain the degradation which we see in the world today is part of a plan it's not just happening because we're bad boys or bad girls and are mistreating this planet it was forecast, it was seen whether you believe in Nostradamus or Edgar Cayce or whatever people have seen it they've seen what's coming they've seen the vision of the transformation of this world and this world is about to be transformed and what is involved in this transformation we are told is a selection process and when the Bible says that two will be standing and one will be taken and things like that it is indeed implying that there is a sorting out a sifting of consciousness and what we are being called upon to do is to stand forth and exercise that consciousness and by that which we exhibit and above all demonstrate will sound the note of our consciousness and if indeed we are to go into a millennium of peace and plenty the millennium forecast by so many seers and prophets then the beings that inhabit the earth during that time are going to be of elevated consciousness for they are going to ground a note on this earth which has never been seen before they are going to ground a note which will be the transforming feature of the Aquarian age which will prepare the planet for what is to come in the subsequent cycle so the young souls that do not survive what is to come will be restricted from coming back to this planet and will have to wait until the cycle of transformation has gone through the note has been sounded and the Aquarian principle grounded so we are being called upon to aid this transformation to either increase the devastation or to reduce it by our own influence we can avoid a nuclear war or we can increase the charge of it so we see that what we can do is influence the way in which the transformation takes place so to come back to the very beginning again and to pilgrimage and to you being here and I recall sitting in this room about three months ago we had a lovely group from uh, New York who you all know and the energy there was just as wonderful there as it was tonight and we had many lovely moments together and I saw in them as I see in you fellow pilgrims travelling around the world shining your light sounding your note but tapping into this energy here and I ask that while you are here you are open to what you might receive because what you may receive will surprise you and the uh, gentleman who was here last it was um, Al 
he told a lovely story which to me in essence sums up what you can do with the energy hay in Glastonbury about the very religious man who fell off a boat into the sea and uh, he had complete faith that the Lord was going to save him. You probably know the story, don't you? And uh, first a boat came, and then a speedboat came, and then a helicopter came. He said, don't worry, I don't need you, the Lord's going to save me. And when, of course, he drowned, went to heaven, and said to the Lord, why didn't you save me? The Lord said, well, I sent you these three things, and you ignored them. <laughs> so you might receive something you don't want to receive. You might see something you don't want to see. You might have a vision, an understanding, which totally upsets you because it doesn't agree with what your understanding of life is. And that happens to many people. There is a transforming power here. There is a great energy which, truly, if you're open to it, can sow a seed which will make you soar into Paul. And I hope you all receive it. Thank you. <laughs>